I confess, while visiting my family back home, I hooked up with my ex in the back of my mom's SUV, <laughs> accidentally opened the back door, uh, and we set off the car alarm, <laughs> disrupting a drug deal two cars down. I flew here, I confess, I flew here from Ohio to see this show with people that watched me masturbate live last October. <laughs> I confess, I once had sex while driving on the freeway. I don't recommend it, but then again, what the hell? Four eyes on the road are better than two. I don't understand that positioning where everyone eyes and... There's a math problem in that one. I don't like it. I don't know math. I can't do math. We'll never truly understand, but then there's this. I confess... I masturbated in my car after work during my commute home. It's a great activity to beat traffic. Sex. Almost everybody does it, and almost nobody talks about it, except at Bedpost Confessions, a storytelling show based in Austin, Texas. Whether the stories are funny, informative, political, or completely personal, the anonymous confessions from the audience are the stars of every show. Welcome to the Bedpost Confessions podcast. I'm Bedpost producer Sadie Smythe. As we are in the middle of the voting season, we wanted to remind everyone to make a plan to vote, whether that is in person, through the mail or absentee ballot, or like right now in Texas, through early voting. A link for national voting resources is in the show notes. To help remind us that the personal is political, we have a story from Bedpost co-founder and producer Julie Gillis. Through a political personal narrative, Julie weaves together her hysterectomy procedure and the power of democracy in hysteria. All Bedpost storytelling productions are made accessible to deaf audience members by the fantastic interpreters from Soul Illumination. Though the interpreters are there to serve the deaf, they enthrall the entire crowd with their beautiful expressions of American Sign Language. If you hear a roar of laughter and don't understand why, the interpreter may have stolen the show for a minute. On with the show. On August 8th, 2018, at 7.30 in the morning, I'm going to have a hysterectomy. Yes. My uterus is tired. It's been overworked for years and years, cramping, shedding, sloughing, implanting, growing, contracting. My vaginal canal is exhausted. It's fallen down on the job. It's caused all manner of problems that a delicate lady such as myself would dare not talk about in public. I have hysteria. I have had uh, symptoms for years, uh, and even I, sex-positive activist that I've been, I really haven't been sure what was going on. And frankly, there was a long period of time where I just didn't really want to know. I didn't ask, really. I I felt shame (laughs) uh, before investigating, and that froze me up. It caused me to kind of pause my normal activities, my normal way of being, and I didn't act. I hoped things would just sort of resolve, fix themselves. And that's an odd thing. Uh, For a person like me, I've confronted most things head-on. I've done a lot of political stuff. Uh, I I figure most of us 
want to uh, do things that they think they have control over. And maybe I just never felt like I had much control over my body. So I just sort of ignored what was going on, shut it down, turned my eye away, and it didn't really work. First of all, I was experiencing an awful lot of exhaustion. And then bleeding, like a lot. And mood swings and weird peeing when I would cough. Anybody else get peeing sometimes? Nobody else pees when they cough? Oh, oh, hi. Okay, good. I'm not alone. Uh, just want to make sure I'm not alone. Um, or like when I would sneeze. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, good. Or uh, when I would cough. Yeah. Oh, me too. And when I would just stand up, it would be like, oh. Woo. Little waterfall happening. Um, <laughs> and then like if I had to like, I don't know, put something inside myself, anything really, um, I'd be like, oh, what's that? That feels weird in there. What's going on? There's something different happening. So I did, went, I did go to doctors finally, and I, I heard, oh, you know, you're just getting older. So, okay. Um, you're too young for menopause. You Get more rest. Uh, we can't really do hormone tests. It's like a, you'd have to do them every day in order to get a real baseline. Uh, meditate. Drink green juice. Do Kegels. I was like, man, I do Kegels. I already do Kegels. But I felt unsupported. I felt unheard. I felt lost, tired, like weighty but not strong, uh, smelly, messy, clumsy, uh, non-sexual, like there was no sex drive. And that was one of those things that was like the most shameful of all because I talk about sex a lot and it felt really scary. I'd never really had shame, I mean, shame about sex, but it was at the time it felt like my body had become kind of an enemy, like my pelvis itself was a foreign creature. And I would say things like this to the doctors, they'd look at me like I was out of my mind, uh, and they would dismiss what I would say. They didn't seem to really care what was going on with my uterus or test for the issues I thought maybe they should test for. They didn't seem worried about me. They knew I wasn't planning on having more kids, so that wasn't really an issue they were dealing with. And they did not seem interested in like helping me improve sexual function. I felt like I was being sloughed off like an irritating menstrual lining. <sighs> I felt unsupported. All this physical stuff started around about the time my mother died. Um, I had found myself at that period of time unmoored and unhinged and, and in grief in a really intense way, and I had support around me, but I don't know how much support anyone can actually give somebody whose parent has died after an embattlement with Alzheimer's for years and years. And right after she died, like literally days after she died, there was the second uh, special session and the filibuster, and I kind of took all of that grief... And I sort of channeled it into rage. And many of you may have been at the Capitol five years ago when, yes. That was an intense period of time. And we were all like yelling and screaming about reproductive issues. At the same time, I was starting to experience reproductive issues. But it was a glorious time in that sense of like fear, ferocity, and rage. And, and uh, I was sort of galvanizing politics while avoiding the personal. So I slept. I slept 12 hours a day. I'd come home from work and I'd sit on the couch. Uh, I meditated, I drank green smoothies, uh, I worked out, I tried to, um, I tried to keep up this sense of self, a busy woman, active woman, doing all kinds of stuff, I uh, felt that was slipping away, and I squeezed my kegels a whole lot, <laughs> uh, and, you know, it didn't work, it felt like there was this pause in my life, emotionally. I looked on the surface like I was active and happy and busy. 
But it was like something came to a halt inside of me. It was a lethargy, a discontinuation of who I had been and how good I had felt. And I kept asking doctors in Austin here. And then when we moved up to Ashland, Oregon, uh, I talked to some there. And it was still like, you're, you're just getting older. As if getting older is like a, a death sentence. Well, it is a death sentence, I guess. <laughs> Ultimately. <laughs> um, but it was as if, you know, middle-aged people and older people don't need to have sexual function. Or it just didn't matter. Um, and finally, my mother-in-law, bless her very sex-positive heart, was like, you need to talk to Dr. Brooks. And, and like in a whisper, she kind of said it. And then I was like, I can't go see Dr. Brooks because she's like a urogynecologist and I need a referral. And she goes, well, go see Krista. And then Krista was like, boom, 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 boom. Uh, stop the presses. You feel like shit, don't you? And I was like, yes. And she did blood tests. And she did a really thorough exam. And once she kind of pulled her head up out of there, she was like, well. <laughs> and not really the best way to have a lady come out of your pelvis. But... Um, it was very satisfying. I felt believed, you know, which you can't say. Sometimes people are down on you. You don't believe what they're doing. So she's probably the best. Um, she was like, hey, guess what? Your T is extremely low. Your P is non-existent. Your thigh is high. Your est is less than recommended. And also the foundation of your house, your pelvic floor has gone and dropped. Your first floor is sinking into the basement. And that means the whole house might cave in if you don't do something about it. And that's, uh, no wonder you don't feel good. You're not supported like that. That's the only picture of my vagina you'll ever see. It once was a beautiful home. Glorious in its day. Uh, so, you know, I'm like on the, the table and you're like, like, what do we do? Well, we're going to give you uh, pills for the pee, and then we can suture a little pellet of tea in your ass, which is not my ass. I don't really know whose ass that I got off Flickr. Um, but it looks, it would look kind of like that. And then um, the E, we can have a, give a cream for that, and then if you, you're high thyroid, if, if the T and the P don't help get that into balance, we can just give you medication for it, but let's see what happens. And the prolapse, though... The prolapse of multiple organs uh, was probably caused by childbirth injuries that no one really saw. Because no one looks really at your pelvis after you have childbirth, and they don't do any physical therapy for you in the weeks to follow, which is dumb. So it's sort of like, a, it's like an amateur lapse, but you've got a professional one. <laughs> and, and it's a decline, it's a slip, it's a drop, it's a deterioration, a regression. And, and I do actually love the idea that uh, my reproductive organs were lapsing into a petty crime there. <laughs> Like vigilantes or a pack of raccoons. Like ovary one and ovary two are like out for blood. They're running through the neighborhoods. Um, uh, but in terms of the lapse part, like I didn't feel like I'd been careless. I hadn't made a blunder. I hadn't made a misstep. I'd worked out. I had done my Kegels, uh, which come to find out can actually make prolapse worse. No, I don't tell you that on the internet. When you Google Kegels, they're just like, squeeze that fucker. Make it, just squeeze it. <laughs> Shelby Haddon, who you may have seen, yes, right there, talking about vaginismus, which she actually helped inspire this piece because she was so brave. Uh, you're not supposed to do Kegels for vaginismus either. It makes it too tight. It makes it too loose. It drops everything. You're just like, I don't know when you're actually supposed to do Kegels, frankly. It might just be a racket. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. But the doctor, this wonderful woman, said, given the bleeding... 
Given the pressure that your uterus is putting on you, we should remove it and shore everything else up. I was like, wow. It's like they're going to stitch the back of your vagina up to your tailbone. They're going to insert mesh up and around the urethra, and the bladder will pull itself back up. And then in the back end, they retrofit everything, like modernize it. And and then you basically have a bionic pussy. You have a $6 million pelvis. And then every time you turn, it goes... Just like Jamie Summers' ear whenever she would listen. You know, like that? And I'm, I'm joking, but uh, it is really scary because I have to have surgery. And it's like on and off, I'm having little bouts of um, like hysteria about it. I thought maybe this would be happening when I was more like 59, not 49. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about the surgery, and I'm like, they're taking out my uterus. And I've always sort of thought of my uterus, it's like the only organ that's like a person in my life. Somebody I talk to have conversations with, stop cramping. You know, when are you going to start your period? Come on, babies, grow. Like, that was a house where my babies lived, and that's a pretty cool thing, I think. It's given me pleasure, it's given me pain, and it's made itself known to me at least once a month since May of 1983, when I first got my period before dance recital. And one of my very first pieces for bedpost was about getting my period, after I had been on a motorcycle without any underwear on because I was trying to be sexy for a fellow. <laughs> and my uterus was like, mm-mm, mm-mm. no, you're not going to do that. So, I mean, full circle, here we are talking about my periods again. It's kind of, a, it is a full circle. It's a rest in peace because we're going to have uh, here lying Julie's menstrual cycle. I know. My, ne- my last cycle will be next week. <laughs> Bye-bye. I know, I know. So the thought of it all, I tell jokes. It's ro- robotic vaginas and ass pellets. And, um, <laughs> and uh, it's bigger than that, right? And it, it's overwhelming. And it's made me think about the fact that I won't be able to get accidentally pregnant ever again. <laughs> and in this America... That felt like this like relief, like a handmaid's tale level relief. <laughs> and and then I I've, I've had the compulsion this this summer to get even more political than I normally am and if you know anything about me at all, you know that I'm annoyingly political. So that makes me really popular at every dinner party I go to. Um, <laughs> there she goes. But I like I've been like hashtagging and screaming and organizing rallies in Oregon and um, but I have like less faith in some way that everything's just so weird right now, day after day and hour after hour. And there's always some new tweet about horrible things. And there are people in camps. And in America, there always have been people imprisoned in this horrible way. But there are babies in camps. And that's not where babies are supposed to live. It isn't. Are we all a little hysterical about this? That's good, because I, I just want to make sure I'm not alone in that either. We're peeing on each other sometimes, and then we're all scared, so that's good. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we need to fix and shore up the foundation of our collective house. It's supposed to support us as a body of people. We count on it. We support it. It supports us. But I see things in the news like eradicating Flores or Muslim travel bans or uh, tweeting in support of like, non-citizens not getting uh, you know, trials or due process, uh, kicking journalists out of press conferences, Helsinki. That was weird. Um, 
like the P tape is nothing compared to Helsinki. I'd be like, please let there just be a P tape. That would be so innocent. <laughs> comparatively uh, and then wood and wouldn't and just the gaslighting that we're experiencing and I don't feel like we're being listened to as a people Um, there's a lapse of support occurring it's not even just a left or a right thing because I live in a really conservative area of the world now and people feel existentially adrift everywhere people are worried about getting jobs they're worried about taking care of their families they're worried about feeding their families getting insurance they're worried about change They don't even know what the change is, and they're worried about it. And, of course, there are people worried about just walking down the street with a skin tone that upsets somebody, and they might die, and then no one seems to care. It's just messed up everywhere, and we're we're on the verge of a human hysteria is what it feels like. And I hope that grounded community and stories and being in places like this is something that can help shore it up. Our foundational documents are collapsing a bit. There have been lapses, really professional lapses. I sound hysterical. And I don't know if the center of this piece actually holds, but all I know to be true is what we've been doing here on this stage for almost nine years now, which is our bodies are important. Your bodies are important. We talk about aging. We talk about coming out. We talk about staying in. We talk about transitioning. We talk about vaginismus. We talk about bleeding. We talk about motorcycles. We talk about everything that has to do with our bodies. Our bodies are important. I want my foundation to be healthy. I want to have great sex again. I want to have love and potential and energy. And I want the country to have great sex and love and energy and potential and have a foundation that is firm. Yes. This country could, this country could have a little more good sex, I think. Really good sex. <laughs> Maybe that's been the problem all along, Protestant America. Um, (laughs) Our bodies make up this body politic. It's a greater body. It's a human race, and we can be better. We have to wind our way together through the hysteria, acknowledging the dysfunction, not looking away, not, not acting. We have to fix the foundation before the fucking house falls down. We have to. And we have to demand it in the strongest terms. We have to bear and carry and prop up and brace and reinforce and buttress and hold the weight of each other through our stories. You can do all the Kegels you want. I won't stop you. You know for sure if you have the Kegel-ready body. But you have to actually do, dam- do, the, do the mitigation of the damage to the underlying floor. You can't look away. You may feel clumsy. You'll learn. You may feel ashamed. Guess what? If you feel shame, face it, let it go. Be better. We can all be better. We can all face this, brace it, support it. We're going to feel loved and sexual and powerful, and we're going to help create a better world with equality and with justice for all. I confess, after this show, I'm going to take my boyfriend to pick out a double dildo for us to share. Sharing is caring. I confess, the guy I'm here with tonight refused to kiss me on our first date. I'm really glad I kept seeing him, even though I thought he was kind of a prude. (laughs) His sex is awesome. It's those quiet ones. You just never know about them. (laughs) I confess, just yesterday at 7.20 a.m., I love morning sex, I swallowed my breakfast in the supply closet at work. (laughs) 
It was salty. All right, y'all. This one is audience interactive, okay? It's, we're going to sing this. You're going you're gonna to clap. I'm going to sing to the tune if you're happy and you know it. All right? I confess. If you're kinky and you know it, clap your hands. If you yank my hair and blow it, clap your hands. Spank my ass until it's red. Pin me down upon your bed. If you're kinky and you know it, clap your hands. Oh! Hell yeah! All are good. Julie Gillis currently lives in the wilds of Ashland, Oregon, where she raises money for media productions, creates storytelling events, rabble rouses with activists, hikes in the mountains, and tries to avoid meeting up with bears and cougars. At least the ones that are in the woods. The ones in the bars are divine. This story was recorded in front of a live audience at the North Door in Austin, Texas, which has sadly closed. The North Door was the home of bedpost confessions for eight years. Miranda and I had a ritual that would quiet our nerves right before we would take the stage. We would hug and repeat to each other, this is our home. Let's welcome everyone into it. The closing of this venue is a huge loss, not just for Bedpost Confessions, but for all of the other misfits the North Door welcomed. We send our love to the staff of the North Door. You are missed. We never took our time with you for granted. Bedpost Confessions is produced by myself, Sadie Smythe, and Miranda Wiley. Our podcast production team is Mariah Gossett, Mike Garcia, and Permanent Record Studios. Follow at Bedpost Confessions on Instagram and Facebook for more audience confessions and up-to-date information on our now digital live performances. Our next digital show is November 20th, and we invite you to use the discount code BEDPOSTPOD for 20% off the ticket price. Tickets available on Eventbrite. Just search Bedpost Confessions. Check out our show notes for more information on the show, plus those national voting resources. Until next time, keep confessing. <laughs>